This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Great stuff. Are you all awake this morning? Like, like, okay. So we, we started to look at the life of Daniel. And if you were in church last year, uh, we had a whole series on the last days on speaking about um, the days of Noah. And if there's probably uh, the times that we're living in, you'll see that there are three characters that were living in the same days like we are. Like, and that's Noah, Daniel, and Joseph. And it's, it's sort of a picture of the end time church that were living with circumstances that were just crazy. And it was a lifestyle of compromise, of immorality, and a lot of things. And, and we can learn so much when we study the lives of those three people. So last year we did the life of Noah, and last week we spoke a bit about Daniel. So there was this one scripture in Daniel 11, verse 32, Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Just say that with me. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. It's amazing when you go and look at this theme in Scripture. Those who know their God being strong is always connected to that. If you're really going to know God, you're going to need strength. (laughs) Knowing God and strength is connected all over Scripture. And I wonder why. Why does Scripture say that? And we're going to look at some of that because especially when we looked at the life of Daniel, we saw that there were certain things where he found his strength in. Now, he was the head of the the soothsayers and the magicians. He was um, the head of the witch doctors of the day or the the pagan idolaters, you know. Um, I wonder what he said every Monday morning with the... team meeting, you know, the, the CEO coming in and say, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do this week. But there's some things that we looked at last week. Daniel's strength was in his devotion to prayer. The end time church and end time family that will stand strong is a family that prays. If we don't pray, we have got no way to know God and to be able to stand strong. And the modern day church, we don't know how to pray anymore. We pray three minutes and it's mostly prayers of supplication. Do you know that stats two years ago said that the average American Christian prays one and a half minute per day. People don't know how to be intimate with God anymore. They don't know how to pray because prayer is a, is, there's a lot of kinds of prayers, prayers of faith, prayers of, of proclamation, prayers of supplication, travail. There's a lot of, the scripture talks a lot of different kinds of prayers, but it says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In James 5 verse 16, thanks Um Albert. James 5 verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That means you can have effective prayer and you can have ineffective prayer. You can have fervent prayer and non-fervent prayer, passionate prayer and non-passionate prayer. And you can have prayers that have lots of effect and prayers that have little effect. And that's why Jesus said, ask. And when you ask according to my will, it will be done. Ask, seek, knock. We said ask is about relationships. Seeking is about finding something that is hidden. And knocking is a door that is closed. And you need to walk through that door because sometimes it takes urgency and a persistence. Not 
dead works, not a lot of Christian works. Because a lot of people pray many long hours, but uh, they go here through the Amalekites and the Parasites and the Jebusites. And then they go and find them and they say like, Lord, have you realized? It's almost like a lecture that we give God. But don't pray as if God is there. Pray as if God is a person standing in front of you. (laughs) Pray out of the heart. You know, we sometimes lecture God or we counsel God. And I've told the story many times of this pastor of in Uganda that was part of the, a massive revival in Uganda and they had to actually run into the mountains. And for weeks they just prayed that God would turn the situation around. And eventually after weeks of praying and fasting, the Lord asked him one morning, he said, Now John, do you think that I as God need counseling? I need to be counseled by men. And he said, no, Lord, there's, uh, no, no, definitely not. You're God. And um, the Lord asked him three times. Audibly, the Lord asked him, do you think I need counsel? And he said, no, Lord, definitely not. And then at the end of that, the Lord said to him, but John, every time you come to me, you tell me what I must do, how I must do it, and when I must do it. Stop counseling me. Surrender. He said his prayer life changed. <laughs> it's completely. Because he realized it's about relationship with God. So Daniel's strength was his in devotion to prayer. Daniel's integrity gave him favor, but he did not compromise. We will have no spiritual authority as the church, as our families, to walk through this wave of things coming against the church if we compromise. Daniel obeyed God before he obeyed man. So that's difficult in all of our lives. When you go into your workplace tomorrow morning, and there's a lot of people that don't know God, some blaspheme, some just, some just haven't got a sock. They haven't got a sake. They haven't got a the problem with you and your Christianity. Oh, you were there, you know. So what? I slept around over the weekend and I just partied. And now in that work environment, in that culture we're moving in, which is not a biblical Christian culture anymore. But Daniel decided he's going to obey God. Daniel relied on the Holy Spirit, meaning that he knew that God gave him certain gifts and that those gifts were to interpret dreams, to speak, and he was faithful with that. The same like with Joseph. For years, Joseph just went at it, yeah? And that's why it says Daniel knew God. Daniel also knew there was a spiritual massive warfare going on. So at this stage, that's where we get a Daniel fast from for 21 days when we fast from meat and all that other stuff, just vegetables. Hallelujah. I, I'd rather fast without anything than to a Daniel fast. I don't, I don't know. I'm not so good on the vegetables. Is there anybody else? Hallelujah. I, I don't know. My stomach doesn't go well, you know. It's just like everything goes like like this, you know, so rather just water fast than a Daniel fast, but I've done a couple of them, you know, where you abstain from a lot of things, and some of us must do Daniel fast regularly, sometimes just leave the television, sometimes just leave that stuff, leave the sport for a while you know, there's going to be a lot of super is it 12 again, or super 15, or super 25s, you know there's going to be so many soccer games, and so many games, it's going to be there all your life it's not going to stop, it's in entertainment it's not necessarily wrong but it's not necessarily good for you because it doesn't advance family time. Hallelujah. And then you need to go and jog because you ate the packet of chips with all the MSG. And you do like, oh, you know. 
But Daniel had a life devoted to God. He, he was, he and David and a lot of these men, they were not perfect, but they had a heart after God. They were seeking God. They said, God, we, we haven't arrived. We saw that they were teachable and humble, but there was this war. So this 21 days he was praying. And then Michael, the archangel appeared finally and said, do you know what? But because of your prayers, um, I've, God has listened to your prayers, but there was a massive spiritual war going on over the powers and the principalities. And for 21 days, I resisted the prince of Persia while you were praying. So while we're praying, it's not just something we're doing, but there's an engagement going on in the spiritual realm. And that's a typical example of that. There are powers and principalities. And mark my words, please, God has started to shake Stellenbosch. And I'm saying this just between the two of us. Everything that's happening to Steinhoff, all this stuff that's happening, God is moving. God is shaking. There's stuff happening. I've only been here like 25 years, but I've never seen God move and giving favor to his children. But only those who seek him. Some are going to miss him completely. (laughs) But God is busy shaking and the shaking is going to continue. The drought, all of that stuff. God is drawing hearts back to himself again. Don't pray for rain. Pray, say, God, we want to know you. We'll maybe get a completely different result. The rain will come, I mean. (laughs) But now it's time to seek God. And we are praying for rain, yes. But lots of people are praying for rain and they're forgetting the God of the rain. (laughs) Pray so that we get to know God, the rainmaker. A lot of people are seeking God for for the healing. And once the healing comes, they move on. But there's something that you can engage with. You can engage God himself. Engage the healer and you'll receive healing. But go to the deliverer and you'll receive deliverance. But don't just walk away with your deliverance or your freedom from deliverance. Don't just walk away with your healing. Walk away with an encounter with the living God. And that's why many times, you know, that woman that pressed through the crown, (laughs) Jesus said, your faith has made you well. She was healed instantly. But she received much more than healing. The lady with the flow of blood. Scripture says virtue flowed out of Jesus. He didn't use the word healing. Virtue was life, dignity, a breaking of shame. The woman that was with the flow of blood, the woman caught in adultery, you'll see that the encounter is, there's almost like two types of healings. The one is the physical one, but after that there's a massive restoration. Why? Because those people didn't just go for the healing. They went for the healer. They went for the deliverer. We're going to encounter ways, and you're going to to see it's beginning to happen, where people, we don't even lay hands on people in church. People just get healed when we worship God. Two years ago when we did this student outreach, um, just events, just when the fees must fall, everything started. When Angus said, let's go to all the campuses. Within three weeks, we organized like 10 campuses. I'll never forget in Poch. Standing there, packed hall, about 3,000 students. And he said the following. He said, tonight we're not going to pray for healing. God told me tonight we're not going to pray for people to be healed. He said, let God be God. And I thought like, sure, okay. (laughs) There are sick people, yes, so we probably should like do the normal thing. But I remember three quarters through the worship, this one lady. There was this big commotion here on the right hand side. As we're standing on the, on the stage, they, this, and then this one older lady came running to the front, and she just jumped. She's just like, 
And there were like five people following her, you know, just running around, wow, and screaming and thought like, this is quite disruptive. And then we realized, well, she stood up from a wheelchair. She was paralyzed for four years. Nobody prayed for her. She just sat there, lifted up her hands, worshiped God, and then Jesus lifted her. Amen. But isn't that nice? No preacher can take the glory. <laughs> no counselor said, oh, I laid my hands on her. It was a 45 degree laying on of her hands. I first, because apparently it's more anointed like this, <laughs> you know. It doesn't work like that, amen. So James 4 verse 5 to 8. We do not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Talks about an authority, submitting and resisting you at the end, but it's all in the context of drawing near to God. And he says, the Holy Spirit, there's a jealousy inside of, of, of God for your time, for your intimacy, for what you're seeking. God is a jealous God. And that's why the first commandment is, you shall serve no other God but me. <laughs> now, when you go to India and places like that, you'll see people walking around the shrines. When you go to China, it's crazy. The tree worshippers, has any of you see those tree worshippers? It's crazy. They, for hours, they walk around the tree. There's actually no, it's just dirt around the tree. As they walk out, they go like, uh, uh, uh. Uh, uh, uh. Then in this park, there's like a hundred people just marching around the tree, tree worshippers. And I think like, whoa. So when you go to some cultures, it's very open. But when you go to the Western culture, where my chunam? Now I'm going to share some of my misery with you. Some of the business guys, we're starting to work through a, through a book from Tim Keller. It's Counterfeit Gods. It's an amazing book, but it's very challenging. Very, 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 very challenging. Because it talks about idols. And if we want to know God, we must know that in every culture, in every home, in every life, in your life, in my life, there's a lot of idolatry. It's maybe not a pole that we worship. But maybe it's a desire for something. And idols is a God alternative that feels like God. Idols is not necessarily something negative. It's not immorality or the stuff we do badly. We think it's only bad stuff. That's an idol. It's a pole. Look at how they worship idols. But there are idols in all of our hearts. And that idol's... Tim Keller says, it's anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. No, 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 Lord, but you, you blessed me with this marriage, this beautiful marriage. Because um, we want, we, we are worshipping you, you know. And then slowly but surely, if that becomes the center of your life, what happens? Becomes an idol. Many times we see in Scripture that um, the blessings of God becomes an idol. And that's why Moses said, hey, Lord, we're going to go into this place, but, but if your presence doesn't go with us, uh-uh, we're not going anywhere. 
An idol is anything that replaces your love for God. Maybe your busy life. Maybe your dreams. Maybe your ministry ambitions. Maybe, but today we we have idols of the heart. I'm just trying to find this because I want to read it. This is part of the book of Tim Keller. He says, it can be family and children, or career and making money, or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, your desire to get skills, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause. Your morality, I don't live like them. Your virtue or even success in Christian ministry. When meaning in your life is to fix someone else's life, we may call it codependency, but it is really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship, he says. Something, but perhaps the best one is worship. No, 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 no. Don't, don't talk to me about idolatry. <laughs> but isn't it so? Romans one twenty five. that's a scripture all the liberals doesn't want in the Bible. And we've had a lot of, lot of challenging things happening this week. There are a lot of liberal societies. They even try to book out all the tickets and all that stuff. Some of them are going to protest most probably tonight. Some stormed some parts of the university this week to try and get this event of tonight off the grid. But Romans 1 says it so clearly. People who exchange the truth of God for the lie. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Worship and serving goes together when it comes to idolatry. Now it's getting very quiet in here because I'm just sharing some of my conviction that God is telling me and say, hey, what, what in our culture may be idols? Now Romans says it, it's, it's when you exchange something the truth for a lie, but you start to worship and serve something. And unfortunately, a lot of our busyness, a lot of our running to and fro becomes such a distraction, but we don't actually realize that inevitably it becomes worship. My weekend's away. Oh, sure. No, no, no. Pastor, I just want to hear about love. But see, we can never know God If our hearts is full of idols. If there are other things we are worshipping. That is good. That is nice. That sort of feels like. I'm entitled to this because I worked so hard. You know. And let me tell you in Stellenbosch. It is a challenge. Because you come back from the holidays. And then everybody else talks about all their overseas holidays. And there's nothing wrong with those stuff. But it becomes a competition. So suddenly you find yourself even in a socioeconomic bracket and now you start to compete with those people in the same socioeconomic bracket but you sort of lose track completely of where 90% of the rest of the world are at. That's why I always encourage people, please go to India. 
just once in your life, please go to Pakistan. You don't need a lot of inner healing courses when you go to Pakistan, Karachi, because there's bombs going off all around you. Then suddenly you forgive. Suddenly you release. Suddenly you get restored. Because <laughs> then suddenly you realize the value of life. But you know, a big idol in our culture is comfort. Consumerism. We never have enough. So even our desire to feel love, to the greed, the power that the whole world is running at, when you come there at the end, it's going to be empty, I tell you. And God says it over and over. He says, those things cannot satisfy you. Let me satisfy you. And you're going to say, wow. It's today's the invitation. It's not like, oh, my chuna, you know. Yes, maybe it starts with repentance. Saying, God, I'm realizing, because I'm going to give you now, now in 10 minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to share some of the things that you think are an idol in our culture, in Stellenbosch. Or maybe you come from another place. I want you to think of three things. Think of three things that you may think may be an idol. I'm not talking about bad things. Like, oh, they drink themselves over a mic. What is that in English? Over a mic. They drink themselves over a mic, you know? They just lose it. That's idol. Idolatry happens every Friday night, you know? But what are those poles that are set up in our hearts? Listen to this in Philippians 3, verse 7 to 10. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. This is Paul writing, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Being conformed to His death. Sure. The power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering. The cry of Paul's heart is, I want to know Him. But I'm realizing, to, realize I must enter into His sufferings. I must realize I can enter into the, the power of His resurrection. But I want to know Him. I'm seeking Him. What things, those, all those ministry stuff, all the titles, all the Pharisee of the Pharisees, I've counted all of that loss, rubbish. It actually uses a very strong word. I've counted that loss. I've said no to those idols and I've started to walk to follow Him. And yes, you must work. Yes, you must do that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with God blessing you because the church is about to see. I'm talking about the church universally. The favor of God like it has not seen. But don't let God's blessing ever become an idol in your life. I'm ashamed of the prosperity gospel. I'm really saying that. God wants to prosper us, but oh my chuna. Oh, you know, if another guy comes with a limousine and says, God prospers me, you know. I spoke to a first year this week on camp and he said, oh no, he was okay, went to this church and the pastor just has 10 cars. And then they have a special offering and three offerings of service for the pastor. I'm thinking like crazy, what has happened? We're taking the blessings of God, but we don't want, don't want to know God. But listen to Daniel 3, 17, we read it last week. If this is the case, our God, when we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Isn't that at the heart of Daniel? He says, even if God doesn't bring breakthrough, we will worship only one God. Standing in front of the burning furnace. <laughs> and, oh, they're going to die now. Says, God, I trust in God, but even if it doesn't. There's not, not too much prosperity gospel in that. 
God is going to call down the angels and smack you right now, king. He says, but I will not compromise because I know God. See, there's a Daniel generation standing up. There's a Joseph generation standing up. This is what I'm going to end with. Joseph had to deal with offense. We see that a lot. Every week I hear people in church, oh no, I want to leave the church because do you know what? The songs isn't like, the service is too long. Oh, no, no, no. And Jesus said it, that will be the mark of the end of the ages, offense. And so what begins to happen is because of idolatry in our hearts, we get offended. Sometimes just because of wrong expectations. Wrong expectations of God. Wrong expectations that I'm not, as a Christian, will never suffer. I won't be persecuted. They're not going to say bad things about me. But if you're a Christian, Jesus promised that will happen. Can I get an amen? So we're going to talk a lot about offense because we have to warn you. We have to immunize. What's the right word for that? Help me. Huh? Vaccinate. Vaccinate. Okay? Vaccinate. We have to make sure that the church is immune against offense. So we're going to talk a lot about that. Because Jesus said that will happen in the last days when you have wrong expectations of the gospel, wrong expectations of God. And that's why the story of Joseph is there. But part of the end time church is a Joseph church that stuck to the faithfulness of God. And yes, he was arrogant at the beginning with his technicolor dream code telling everybody else, you're going to bow to me. Oh, wrong expectations. <laughs> wrong heart, wrong motivation. And that maybe made him to end up in a bad place. But sure, when there's a fence, what happens is you and I become isolated. Isolated from community, isolated from accountability, isolated and on our own, and we're very gifted. But if bitterness and unforgiveness sets in, because eventually what will happen is betrayal. And we see that in the life of Joseph, we see that in the life of Daniel. Twelve years, Joseph waited in prison in Potiphar's house, twelve years with God being silent, with being challenged, no breakthrough, all the promises. Then he gets dreams for these people. He gets the words for these people. He says, okay, just think of me when you go out of this place. The guy is set free, walks out, and he forgets about Joseph. Chona, I would have been offended. Remember me. I'm, 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 I'm giving you life here. I'm giving you a word from God. I'm do-do-do-do, you know. Twelve years of just the faithfulness of God. But Lord... That dream that I had, that ambition, that thing that died, you know, it's busy dying. Betrayal. Deception. And scripture says, they'll even hate you. <laughs> even people that you love. And, and, and that's part of that gospel. But listen to this, and I'm going to end with this, and then we're going to talk about that idols in our culture. Genesis 50. Something happened in Joseph's heart. In his heart, he was always pure. He did not allow deception. He did not allow idolatry. He did not allow these bad things. And even when some of us are sitting here, we're thinking, well, yeah, you don't know what I went through. You don't know how I've been set up. But it's all to take you out of the call of God. It's all to make you harden in your heart and just not engage God and not engage anybody around you to be in the real community. That's what it was about. 
And Joseph would have missed, even when he was right there ruling, he would have missed it because now God gives him an opportunity for restoration. Listen to this. Joseph, uh, uh, Joseph 50. <laughs> Genesis 50. Joseph said to them, like Moses 14, you know, Joseph said to him, do not be afraid. This is now the brothers, they're standing there. Joseph has got this massive moment of vindication. He's going to sort them out, these brothers now. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? Now, if you knew the culture that Joseph was in, he was like Pharaoh, idol worshiper. If you were there, people worshipped you. The position that Joseph had. But he said, do not be afraid. I'm not God. And I'm not in the place of God. There's no idolatry in my heart. Because my dream, even when my dream died, it never became an idol. And some of it happened through suffering, pain, betrayal. But as for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as if this day to save many people alive. Sure, many years of walking in just forgiveness. No bitterness. Thinking of all these years, the brothers are there with the father out there and he's in prison. And he says, do you know what? You meant it for evil. You wanted to kill me, my own blood brothers. You wanted to kill me. But what you meant for evil, I want to tell you, God meant it for good. And see, that becomes worship to God. This is not about me. God is going to save many people through through this testimony. God is going to save many people through what he's done here. He'll get all the worship. Because Joseph was a worshiper. Daniel was a worshiper. Noah was a worshiper in the midst of massive compromising circumstances. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? He could have killed them on the spot. Could have put them in prison for 30 years. You're going to suffer because of look what you've done. But because he had a heart after God, because he served God, because he knew that God is going to make all things work together, he took even that weakness and that brokenness and he brought it to God. And he brought it to his, in front of his brother and says, God is going to use this. Sure. So the two questions, quickly, before we're going to pray. The one was, what do you think are some idols around us? Maybe in our culture, maybe in this place in Stellenbosch. And then the second one is a bit more of a personal one. What are the areas where you easily get offended when it comes to the Bible, the gospel, God, family, maybe small group? And I know some of you are so afraid to go to small group. Why? Because you're afraid of coming close to people. Because then maybe they're going to see that there's some things that are not perfect. I want to say to you, it's all right. God is not looking for perfection. But you need to engage. You need to live for community. You need to live for that place where you can realize that it's not just about the individual. But it's about us. God has saved us so that he can save many others. And that's the Joseph church. That's the Daniel church. Their heart is towards God, but they know that God is going to bring redemption. For Stellenbosch, or maybe for the place where you come from. So the first one, cultures. I'm going to give you five minutes to talk about that. And then secondly, what are maybe some of those things 
in your own heart that has become an idol, that sets you up for offense easily, that wants you to make just withdraw. You sort of in the picture God showed me is that people come even to the throne room of God and they come and there's an open door and then they, and, and you walk with such passion to go through that door. But the moment when you get before the door, you get like weak, numb, and you just stop. Everything just like, whoa, I can't do this. Like, like Tremaine felt a little bit yesterday when he wanted to put that ring on, on a lady's finger sitting next to him. Just like, oh my God, you know, then you like, just try to keep everything together because everything inside of you says, yes, it's the right thing to do, but everything inside of you says, no, you know. Those moments in our lives. But you know how we do that with God and with other people where we need to engage them? We do exactly the same. No, 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 I'm going to rather stay away. But you don't know that there's redemption in it. There's a Joseph moment in it. That even those own pain that you have, you can come and share your story and somebody's going to be set free. Because God, although you meant it for evil, God has meant it for good. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.